0: In the Shadows, a new podcast by Izzy Steinmeier and Isla Campbell. Each week, we investigate the lives of the hidden women of history. Join us as we uncover their stories. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the first episode of our podcast, In the Shadows, where we're telling the stories of history's hidden figures and evaluating their importance.
1: We think it's so necessary to shed a light on the role of women throughout history, whether that be in revolutions, scientific developments, or government, as they played an instrumental part in shaping the world we live in. But unfortunately, so often their stories go untold. Hello,
0: I'm Isla. And I'm Izzy. So in today's podcast, we're going to be discussing Alexander Kollontai. She was a Russian Marxist revolutionary politician and she was the first woman in history to become an official member of a governing cabinet within the Bolshevik party.
1: So we'll cover the extraordinary life of Kolontai, uh, including her political career, while also assessing how influential she really was in terms of her contribution to the revolution and impact on the lives of Soviet women.
0: Yeah, so we really hope you enjoy our exploration of this you know, powerful trailblazing pioneer. Um, and her story has unfortunately been lost just because she was a woman. Um, So we really want to shed some light on the life of this kind of staunch Marxist who was marginalised for her critical questioning of her own party which really shows that you know within this era in Russia there was no space for experimentation within the rigid ideology. So
1: before we g- begin to evaluate Kolontai's impact on the lives of Russian women and the Bolshevik party as a whole, we think it's really important to understand a bit more about the woman herself. So Isla, can you tell me a little bit about who she was?
0: Yep. So Alexandra Demontovitch, she was born Demontovitch, she was born in the Ukraine in 1872. She was the daughter of General Mikhail Aleksevich Demontovitch, um, and she was born into the aristocracy. So she was quite an, um, a high class in Russia. Um, In 1893, she married the engineer Vladimir Kolontai. And did this marriage last? Um, So no, unfortunately not. After three years of marriage, only three years, the pair did separate. um, And Alexandra herself stated that we separated, although we were in love because I felt trapped. I was detached because of the revolutionary upsettings rooted in Russia. You can see how much her career means to her. Um, So soon after ending her marriage, she started her political career in 1896 she organized collections for the Strikers in St. Petersburg in in 1903 she released her book which was called the state of the working class in Finland, Um, and it was about struggles between the Finnish people and the Russian autocracy. Um, In 1915 she joined the Bolsheviks and she she played a major role in the plot to overthrow the provisional government. She established herself as a staunch feminist and she helped to form the Central Commission for Agitation and Propaganda amongst working women. Um, so agitation and propaganda was is, it was widely known as agit prop, um, and it was the kind of the main form of the spread of ideas in Russia at this time. Um so agitation was used for people who were not communists, and propaganda was kind of for political work among party members, so they used the press. there was even agit trains. Um so yeah, Izzy, do you want to explain a bit about colonized links to Marxism and what really inspired her initially to join the revolution?
1: Yeah, definitely. So unconventionally for a woman, uh, Kalontai studied economics in Zurich, Switzerland, um, under Professor Heinrich Herkner. Um, And here she became really fascinated by Marxist ideas, and she later dubbed her professor a Marxist revolutionist. And while she was in Western Europe, she visited England, where she met members of the British socialist movement. So this included Sydney and Beatrice Webb and then on returning to Russia in 1899 she actually met Vladimir Ilyich um, Ulyanov who is most commonly known as Vladimir Le- Lenin. So what I found really interesting is um, Kolontai's connection
0: between communism and fem- feminism. Yeah definitely I think that was kind of the most integral part of her career um, and I think she, she really saw communism as a means to promote women's rights um, and kind of as a close ally of Lenin, she really became a leading woman in early Russian communism. Um, She became the first Bolshevik minister for women and social rights. Um, She introduced some of the most progressive laws in the world um, seen at this time on women's family and labor rights. Um, Her vision kind of at this time um, seemed to go much further than any other feminist, which is quite interesting for communist Russia. Um, She advocated um, for sexual freedom for both men and women Um, She really she really pushed for the creation of state run facilities to kind of free women from backbreaking domestic work, which they were really restricted to at this time. Um, And she was all for kind of the idea of free love um, in post-revolutionary Russia. So
1: you speak about this idea of free love, but surely in 20th century Russia, female sexual liberation was a taboo.
0: Oh, yeah, it was a massive taboo. Um, and despite the fact that her new reforms kind of helped free women from the post-revolutionary attitude that, you know, their lives should revolve around domesticity and, you know, family responsibilities. In Russia, there was a problem with this new sexual morality because it kind of strayed so far from what they knew. Um, but she also did achieve a lot in terms of females workers, female workers' rights. Um, so Izzy, do you want to tell us a bit about that?
1: Uh, Sure. So Kolontai's criticisms of the inhumane working conditions that were suffered by women and children in factories at this time, um, along with her denunciation of prostitution, greatly influenced the Communist Party's early attitudes. So a key reason why Kolontai is deemed such a significant figure in the early Russian Communist Party was that unlike many of her contemporaries, she understood that the revolution didn't only centre around power and economics, but the relations between men and women and human relationships were just as important. So her vision of a, the communist utopia was one with no private property, no money, and where all relationships would be based on love, comradeship, and equality. And although these policies to us now seem fair and moderate, Kalontai still faced much opposition.
0: Yeah. So kind of like her main opposition was when um, many men at the time were not kind of. It kind of connects with the lack of education in Russia at this time. They weren't sufficiently educated to connect with kind of her idealistic version of free love. Um, they didn't understand her vision. They accused her of trying to take away their wives. And I think that's quite important because it shows kind of the idea that women were kind of commodities to men, that they could be taken away. Um, and also party members kind of in, in her party blamed her for the new kind of marital instability in Russia. Um, there was um, 100,000 divorces in 1922 alone. She was kind of used as a scapegoat for that. Um, and in March 1921, Kollontai's kind of communist utopian dreams was a far cry from the reality of most Russians. And I don't think that's kind of centred just around Kollontai. I think that centres around lots of the kind of staunch Marxists. Their vision was very much not what was going on in the country at the time. Um, yeah, so after years of brutal civil war, the economy was completely shattered internal revolts began to occur and kind of Lenin the pragmatic leader that he was he was worried about losing control he introduced the NEP which was a much more kind of market orientated economic policy at the 1921 party congress.
1: And so what was Kalontai's
0: reaction to the NEP? Oh she was she was absolutely horrified because it was a complete insult in her opinion to Marxist principles. Um, She criticized his new policy and she actually became the leader of the newfound workers' opposition Um, and this kind of had a, a huge impact on her career.
1: Yeah, definitely. So on her establishment of the Workers' Opposition, a party which she short, uh, thought would be able to guard communist ideology from these polluting capitalist policies, such as the new economic policy. So Lenin broke off um, any contact with Kalantai as a result. So this elicited the end of her political career. And Kalantai's eradication from history by Lenin highlights the power that the communist leaders had in the media and how easily a person could just be simply erased and become, as we've been talking about, this hidden figure. So, Lenin's writings on women in 1965, named On the Emancipation of Women, did not include any trace of Kolontai at all, despite her huge significance. The party made sure to cover up any moments of dissension from Kolontai, thus reducing the resounding impact of her life's work. Kolontai spent the rest of her life as a Soviet ambassador to various Scandinavian countries and died in 1952 in Moscow.
0: Yes, yeah, so kind of, as we can see, this was a really abrupt end to a hugely influential and really pioneering political career. Um, so before we delve into assessing Tai's overall impact on Soviet feminism and the Marxist revolution, do you have any final thoughts? I mean, do you think the ending was just? do you think do you think it was inevitable?
1: Well, I think in many ways, um, Colin Ty was always working on borrowed time. So not only was she a woman in such a male dominated environment, she was the first woman in history to become an official member of a governing cabinet. So we really can't underestimate this. Um, but also she had incredibly non-conformist ideals. So she campaigned for sexual uh, liberation of women when female sexuality was a taboo. She fought for freedom of love when the ignorant thought she was just a rampant inciter of divorce. And she aimed to safeguard Marxist principles, even if that that meant defying her party and her greatest ally, Lenin. So the loss of Lenin's support really exposed her to much opposition, and it was really felt by most of Russia that she wouldn't really be missed. Um, so as Kolontai's power rose and fell, she ended up being merely remembered as a Soviet ambassador, with an extremely censored portfolio of writings.
0: Yeah, but it also, it could be argued that Kolontai was right to do this, you know, the NEP did wholly contradict much of what she thought communism stood for, you know, with know, it's de- denationalisation of some industry and it's more kind of mixed economy approach. And after these years and years of revolution, you know, fighting for what they believed in, it must have come as a massive shock to her to kind of see it reversing back into its old ways. And obviously she would, she would oppose that. Um, so from this, we really get a sense of her character um, as she kind of she really didn't stray from her beliefs, You know, no matter what the consequences on her career was. And obviously her career was the most important thing to her.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree. However, um, on the flip side, if her career was the most important thing to her, kind of this opposition to government meant that she like, lost her status. Mm-hmm. Um, and so had she stayed in government for a bit longer, who knows what further reforms she could have implemented
0: to better the lives of Soviet women, which she couldn't do in her lesser roles. Yeah, I mean, it's clearly a very contentious issue. Um, so join us after the break, where we'll be discussing to what extent did Alexandra Kollontai contribute to the Russian Revolution and how far did she impact Marxist feminism? Hi all and welcome back to the discussion segment of today's podcast.
1: As Isla said previously we'll be covering two main questions. Um, Firstly to what extent was Kolontai an influential figure in the Russian Revolution? So Isla do you want to kick us off?
0: Yeah, Sure so when Lenin returned to Russia in April 1917 she was the only major leader of the kind of the Petrograd Bolsheviks who immediately voiced her full support, unwavering support on his April theses, um, partly just because they were so they, they were seen so radical. Um, so a lot of the members were they were put off um, after the July uprising against the provisional government. She was arrested, along with uh, you know, many other of her Bolshevik leaders, um, which kind of proved her influence as she was punished alongside her male revolutionary counterparts. Um, She then became a member of the party's central committee, and she voted for the policy of armed uprising that actually led to the October Revolution. And this decision um, of hers to back military force really shows her complete support of the revolution, her complete support of Lenin, and her unfaltering commitment to it, um, no matter the cost.
1: However, while she was elected People's Commissioner um, for Social w- Welfare in the first Soviet government at the second all Russian Congress of Soviets on the 26th of October, she soon resigned in opposition to the Brest-Litovsk uh, P- Pact. Um, while it is admirable her beliefs never fluctuated, perhaps this unwillingness to adapt was counterproductive as she was unable to implement change in lesser roles.
0: Yeah, true. But... Colin role as an internal critic of the party was kind of also like integral to the revolution um at the end of 1920 she did side with the workers opposition um which was a left-wing faction of the party as we've discussed um and on the 5th of July 1921 she delivered a speech which was bitterly attacking the NEP the new economic policy proposed by Lenin she said it threatened to disillusion workers to strengthen the peasantry and petty bourgeoisie and to facilitate the rebirth of capitalism you know this is a clear indication that she was not committed to a singular party or leader but instead kind of the Marxist rhetoric and the feminist ideas um this was of course the reason why she was somewhat eradicated from history the critical nature of her speeches kind of made her exempt from the books of official Soviet history while she herself attempted to write her own feminist history.
1: Yeah certainly I think the fact that she forfeited her career um, for what she thought was best for the revolution really emphasizes her um, contribution to it and her outspoken support for Lenin's April theses and the backing of um, military force which actually led to the October revolution gave the Marxist revolution much momentum. Also Kolontai changed the very nature of what it meant to be a revolutionary. She personalised rebellion by focusing much more on human interaction and relationships alongside economic and military policy. Therefore, it could be argued that Kolontai was actually, to a large extent, an instrumental figure in the Russian Revolution.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, So, next question. How far did Kolontai impact the lives and the rights of women in the Soviet Union?
1: Well, I think Kolontai was certainly the most prominent woman um, in the Soviet administration as she founded the Zenot Del or the Women's Department in 1919. So this organization worked to improve the conditions of women's lives uh, to fight illiteracy and teach women about new marriage education and work laws that were being put into place um, in post-revolution period. And so this shows that Kolontai was um, integral in bettering the lives of Russian women.
0: Yeah um and one could argue that as it was eventually you know it was closed in 1930 her influence was very short term but effectively she did she was the first woman to take up such a significant government position and she really she really paved the way for future female politicians to use their voices and stand up for women's rights um in this way her legacy it kind of goes beyond what she did and it's really incredibly important and it's got it's got really far-reaching consequences um, yes. So before we go, Izzy, can you tell me why Colin Tice is a, is a hidden figure in history and why, why is she so much in the shadows and what, if any, representations there are of her in modern day? So the life and writings
1: of Kolontai are restricted to a very thin volume of selected speeches and articles of Kolontai, wherein the publishers paint a completely uncontroversial picture of her, which overlooks all the issues of dissension from the official party history. So this highlights that despite being tremendously significant um, in the Russian communist history, the critical nature of her speeches and articles led to her importance being completely diminished and refuted in official party history.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. And I think you know primarily she suffered because of her gender and it was a woman who was criticizing party policy and making these controversial speeches her history is sanitized you know she want they wanted her to paint her as this agreeable minor figure in the bolshevik party but that's what we're aiming to do in this podcast we're gonna we're, we're trying to give a voice to those forgotten or falsely remembered um and i think the impact of Colintai and what she stands for can be best expressed in her own words. She says, "The female worker and the female peasant is still oppressed by housework and is still a slave in her own family. The male worker should understand that the woman is an equal member of the proletarian family." And yet, yeah, after World War II, East European nations, um, kind of aiming to mobilise women into the labour force, implemented a lot of updated versions of her earlier early soviet forms which you know liberalized divorce, expanded parental leaves built you know free spaces for children socialized domestic work and now that kind of spread to what we now recognize as feminist ideas across the globe to countries such as china cuba vietnam ethiopia yeah so i think that's quite interesting Yeah, definitely.
1: So I think Kalontai is presented as a very two-dimensional character in history. So the lack of published work surrounding her speaks to this. But I know that I, for one, have learned a lot more about her and the legacy she has left behind. Um, And she's certainly a woman who goes against the Scottish philosopher Thomas Carlyle's idea that the history of the world is but the biography of great
0: men. Yes, definitely. Um, So thank you very much for listening. We hope you have found this discussion interesting and revealing Um, and be sure to join us next time where we explore another one of history's hidden figures who is in the shadows also look out in the next few episodes where we are joined by some special guests who give us their view on the woman in the shadows in the shadows uncovering the hidden woman of history